Happy Easter again to everyone. It is the one Sunday of the year that I get semi-dressed up. And I thought I was dressed up until I looked at you, Keith, and I looked at Dennis, and I literally, after I saw them, I went upstairs and tucked my shirt in. And this is, this is the best I can do, I'm sorry. But I tried. Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is like Super Bowl Sunday for the Christian church. Right? Because if you don't watch football and don't know anything about football, you know that you're going to go watch football on Sunday, Sunday night football when it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? You might not know anything about it, but you're getting together with friends and family and having a big meal, and you're celebrating Super Bowl Sunday. It's in the same way today as we gather, you may not know Jesus, you may not know about his church, you may not know about anything we're doing today, but you're... You may be here with friends and family, not knowing what we're doing, and we are celebrating together today. You may have even been dragged in this morning by a friend or a family member, being here forced, and we're okay with that. We're just glad that you're here. But this morning, we have great reason to be here to celebrate because this morning is Easter Sunday. It's a wonderful Sunday. Because Easter Sunday is a day that is so crucial to the life of Christians. Because it is a day that if it did not exist, this whole thing, this church, Christianity as we know it, would not exist. All of it is because of what we are here today to celebrate. Because Easter Sunday is so much more than just about, you know, ushering in the spring season and nice weather. It's more than about decorating eggs and, you know, sitting on the laps of cute Easter bunnies, as cute as they are. It's more than even just about gathering on a Sunday morning, once a year to celebrate and to gather. It's more than just about the ritual of it, because Easter Sunday, friends, is about the man, Jesus Christ, who has come into the world, lived, died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day. And that's why we gather here today. It is essential for us. And you may be here this morning as a Christian who knows the Lord and is trying to follow Him. You may be here as a person who identifies as a Christian but only shows up once in a while. Or you may be here as a person who does not know Jesus at all or struggling to believe or are unsure of what you believe. And this morning, I want to get us all in the same room the same page, because no matter where you're coming from, no matter what insecurities you may have, no matter what you believe or may not believe, no matter what your life has looked like in the past, no matter your doubts, no matter your loss, this morning, would you hear me? Easter Sunday is for you. Easter Sunday is for each one of us this morning to open our ears, to open our eyes and our hearts to the reality that Jesus Christ overcame sin and overcame death and hell for us. That's what today is about. Listen, if Easter Sunday is true, if Jesus did rise from the grave, it's not inconsequential for us, right? It's not irrelevant. It's not something that we can just pick and choose. Because if Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it changes everything for us. And it's really good news that it does. And so this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, 
as Tim read for us, and it's on uh, page 853 in the Black Bibles in front of you. You can turn with me there right now, and if you do not have a Bible, please, would you take that as our gift to you? We'd love to give that to you if this is your first time here or if you don't have a Bible. And so, as Benu reminded us, this morning we have said that our kids will be staying with us, and it's going to be, it's going to be noisy, it's going to be loud, but I have a brand spanking new eight-month-old baby girl, and all I've been hearing is crying, and so I'm going to be numb to any crying that happens. So you are good. Don't feel bad at all. And, and kids, would you listen? This is an opportunity for you to really pay attention. We're going to love you if you make noise. We're not, we're not going to condemn you. But would you hear, this is an opportunity for you to hear the gospel just as Joe has taught it to you. We get to hear the gospel again. And so listen, children. Listen, adults. Listen, all of us, because there's great news for all of us this morning. So would you pray with me as we consider God's word? Our Lord, would you allow the next few moments to be meaningful for us? Meaningful to us who do believe in Jesus and meaningful to those who do not. Would you surprise us with a message of Easter so that we might grow in love for Christ and faith in him? We are slow to believe and we are quick to put up our guards. And so would you soften our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear this morning of a God who loves us, has died for us, and who lives today? Eager to extend grace and salvation and mercy to us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you've been at Seven Mile Road for a while, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for 15 months now. We've been in this book for a long time, and today is where it all comes to a close. This is the final text in Mark that we're going to be preaching. We've seen Jesus at the beginning of Mark come onto the scene making some outrageous claims about who he was as the Son of God. Right? We saw him. We've seen week after week him healing terrible diseases and even raising people from death, freeing people from demonic oppression and torment, even claiming that he himself will die, but that he himself will raise. And if all of this comes to a head today, one of the questions that are going to be in our minds is everything that we've been reading, everything that we've been hearing up to this point for the past 15 months, one of the questions that we're going to be confronted with is, is it all true? I mean, is this all true? Is Jesus who he says he really is? Is everything we read for the past 15 months true? Or is it just a bunch of hype that we got conned with by this man? Because the reality is that many messianic figures came before Jesus and came after Jesus, claiming to be the kind of person that Jesus was. Right? They came, they, they, they said that they were God or a God-like figure, uh, the one who would save people, but they only proved to die, and the movement and the followers all just went away. And so this morning, there's a lot at stake, not just for us, uh, there's a lot at stake for those who are following Jesus. Right? They've committed everything. They've left everything for Jesus and what he said. Their futures are on the line. Their reputations are on the line. Everything is hanging in the balance. But will they only realize that this whole thing was a sham? Will they realize that it was all true? And we'll find that out today. 
Last week, Benu preached for us on the death of Jesus. And on Friday, we gathered to remember Jesus' awful death, horrendous death. And today, our text picks up as Jesus dies on the cross, reading from Mark 15, 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So would you picture this scene? Going back to Friday. As Jesus lays hanging on this cross, bloody and beaten. It's late Friday afternoon. If you were to open your eyes, the scriptures even tell us that it was pitch black. You couldn't see anything. It was the middle of the afternoon and you couldn't see anything but darkness. And in a Roman crucifixion, which is what this was, it was not uncommon for those hanging on the cross to be left there for days just to rot and decay so that animals might come and devour them. In fact, even after the person dies on the cross, the point of this was mass humiliation for them to suffer. And so you would have people dying on the cross, not even being given the honor of burial. Staying on the cross for days so that their humiliation might be maximized. If you don't know what has brought us to this awful scene, if you, if you don't know why we are here, you may wonder why is Jesus even on the cross? Why is he bloody and beaten and why has he died? Why has he been put to death on this awful cross? He's been convicted of blasphemy, of claiming to be God. He's committed high treason against Rome. And so now, as Jesus lays hanging on the cross, it is shocking to see some of the details that we see here. As he lays on this cross, Joseph of Arimathea asks for Jesus' body so he might bury it. Right? Why? Why is that shocking? Because Joseph of Arimathea is an honorable man. He's a respectable man. He's part of the council that was in charge of actually getting Jesus to be crucified. He was a part of that party. He's a man of reputation. And yet, he seems to care for Jesus. He seems to be a secret follower of Jesus this whole time. And so for a man like that who is with the, the inner circle, with the religious and social and political parties, it would take a lot of courage for that man to say, can you give me Jesus' body? Because I want to bury it. And I think as we look at Joseph, as we see this man asking for the body, one of the questions that come to our mind is, the people who are not there, the people who are not asking for Jesus, where are the disciples? We are asked over and over again over these past weeks, where are the disciples? Why are they not the ones at the cross seeking to speak on Jesus' behalf? Why were they not the ones comforting Jesus at his last hour? 
Why were they not the ones asking for Jesus' body to be buried? They fled a long time ago. They left a long time ago. Because wasn't it Judas that betrayed him for a few coins? Wasn't it Peter who denied him three times when he said he would give even his life for Jesus? Followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus? Hardly. But Joseph here takes the risk asks Pilate for the body, and Pilate hands it over. And Joseph, filled with grief and sorrow, you can imagine that he asks for a few extra hands to come and help him take down the cross and take Jesus off of the cross, pulling the nails out of his hands, pulling the nails out of his feet, removing the thorny crown off of his, off of his head, and all you see is red. All you see is blood everywhere. It's covered And so Joseph gets a linen shroud, wraps Jesus' body, covers the lashes on his back and the cuts and the bruises all over him. And the scriptures tell us that Joseph took Jesus to a tomb that Joseph himself purchased and owned, took him to the tomb, carried him there, buried him in it, rolled a massive stone in front of the the tomb, sealed it so no one would enter it. And it says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw it, and it was done. Jesus was in the grave, and Friday's weight just falls on you. What kind of a God is this Jesus that he claims to be? A God who is defeated on a cross at the hands of men. A God who bleeds and feels pain, and cannot even save himself. What kind of God needs to be carried by someone else, bandaged up, and buried in a tomb purchased by someone else? The only thing, the only thing this entire scene screams is defeat across the whole thing. There's, There's nothing for you to think otherwise than defeat. The Romans are scoffing. The religious leaders are cheering. Everything that is evil, everything that is sinful, Satan himself is celebrating the triumph of death, the victory of sin, the rule of hell. All of mankind in this moment seems as left to themselves, and God must not have come. The disciples, these women, all who have followed Jesus have good reason to mourn, to turn away from Jesus and to leave. Was this just a sham? Jesus must not have been anything more than a mere man. A lot of talk, but he's just like the rest of them. And so suffering will not end. Sin will not be overcome. Our sorrows will last into eternity. And all the weight of the world that we feel today in this moment, we better get used to it. We better get used to feeling insecure, and condemned in our guilt, and uncertain about what's to come, and have no thought of the future, or what comes after death, because all that we hoped in has been buried. It's dead. And the thing about Easter is, we've let the cat out of the bag multiple times already, right? We know what is coming. 
But is this not how we live so often? As though we have nothing to hope in beyond this life. As though Jesus is dead. But can I tell you, dear friends, can I tell you for many more days and for many more Easter's to come if God would have us here. Seven Mile Road, can we remind one another today and when difficult days come in our lives, when darkness is all we can see and hope seems lost because of sin and death and brokenness in our lives, in our lives, in the world, can we tell one another, yes, Friday has come and Jesus died and lies in a tomb. But something is happening behind the walls of this dark and cold tomb of death. No one in Jerusalem knows it. But a heart begins to beat. The flat line is no longer flat. Something begins to beat in the chest of Jesus. A man who is not a man at all, or not just a man at all, but is God. And your life, and my life, and all who have believed in Jesus then and will ever believe in the future will be changed forever because of it. And in the words of one late preacher, it is Friday. It's only Friday. But Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming. So let your, let your soul rise. Let hope rise. If you are in life right now broken and feeling condemned, and let hope rise in your soul this morning. And would you feel the weight of what is happening this Sunday morning? Reading from Mark 16, 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Okay, a few things to note about this passage. Jesus dies on a Friday afternoon before the Sabbath begins. Then the Sabbath ends on Saturday after the sun sets. So these women get up and go after the Sabbath ends to go get oils and spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Then on early Sunday morning, they walk to the tomb. It's the third day. The third day. Do you remember Jesus over and over again in Mark saying, I will die, but I'm going to rise. I will die, but I'm going to rise. And not only did he say that, but he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, but I'm going to rise on the third day, in three days. And it's the third day today. And so as these women are walking up to the tomb, would they not think to themselves, huh, it's the third day. Or would the 11 disciples not think to themselves, maybe they're getting up early on a Sunday morning and enjoying a nice cup of coffee, wouldn't they be thinking, hmm, it's three days. I feel like something's happening today. But no one reacts. No one makes the connection. No one, not a single person who followed Jesus thought to themselves, maybe I should go check out if this whole thing is true. No, 
Because even as these women approach, they're not there to check to see if Jesus rose from death. And humorously, almost humorously, they come prepared with all of these oils and all these spices ready to anoint Jesus' dead body, but overlook a major flaw in their plan. The enormous stone that is in front of the tomb blocking anyone from getting in. I mean, how do you forget that important fact? In light of all that Jesus said concerning his resurrection, you would hope that their question would be, do you think he's risen? But it's not. It's that stone. Who's going to move the stone? I'm sure it'll be fine. And they keep walking. And wouldn't you know it, they keep walking to the tomb, and what is gone? The stone. The stone is removed. It's been rolled away. How? How has this happened? Mark goes on to say in verse 5, In entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And so these three women, would you, would you walk with these women? Right? They're already spooked at this mysterious rolling away of the stone that somehow happened, and now they're walking into a tomb. And this is not an open-air cemetery, right? This is in the side of a mountain carved out in rock in an enclosed graveyard. And you've got to hand it to these women. I mean, would you not just be freaked out of your mind at this point and not go any further? Most of us would briskly jog back and say, you know what, Mary, Salome, that's all you. I'm going to head back. Because this is getting a little too scary for me. And then this, they walk into the tomb. And this man, this, this person, they walk into the tomb and he's sitting at the side of this tomb. He's just hanging out. Like it's, it's, it's just a lounge. This guy is hanging out in the tomb, dressed in white. And he has the audacity to tell them, don't be alarmed. This is all normal. This is, this is regular routine stuff. Nothing to be alarmed at. These kinds of situations are why the word alarmed was made. I mean, this kind of a situation. What about this whole scene is not to be alarmed about? But if you're familiar with the Bible, you know this man can't be just a mere man. In another gospel, it shows us that this man in white is actually an angel of the Lord. A messenger. Something out of this world. And he has a message for these three women. The Jesus that you, that you saw crucified is no longer in the tomb. He is risen. He's not here. Look where they laid him. And in verse 7, the man says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And you're beginning to see. Everything Jesus said would happen is happening. These women came to honor the end of a man, but they have not found him there because it's not the end of this man. He's risen. Jesus is risen from the dead, just as he said he would. And all the hopelessness and fear and doubt should be wiped away and replaced with joy and hope and celebration. Jesus Christ is God. He has not been overcome by death and sin and hell, but he himself has overcome all of them. And amen. Many of us would say, amen. Yes, Jesus has risen. But then many of us wouldn't. 
Many of us would wonder and say, yeah, right. I doubt it. I don't buy it. We might think it's primitive to believe that this happened. We might think that we are too sophisticated and too educated to believe this kind of story. Listen, even if you're a Christian, let's be honest, we, we struggle perhaps with this. What would be your response? What would be your response to the empty tomb if you were there? Right? Well, many have penned lots of papers and written many dissertations to explain that, sure, there was probably an empty tomb, but he didn't rise from death. He did not rise from death. So what could explain the empty tomb? What are some of the possibilities? Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Maybe they just entered the wrong tomb. Okay, then just go to the right one and show the body. Just bring out the body before this Christian movement gets big and explodes. Just show the body. Okay, maybe these people just hallucinated that they saw Jesus. Joe reminded us, okay, maybe individual people, we get a little crazy sometimes, right? We take some NyQuil and we get hallucinations. It's happened before. So, okay, we can buy that. But the scriptures record for us that there were 500, over 500 witnesses at one time, double the size of this room, all at once, who saw, who fixed their eyes on the risen Christ. How is it that all of them at once could be hallucinating? And psychologists have weighed in and said, that doesn't happen. That just does not happen. Okay, maybe then he actually didn't die on the cross. Maybe he just didn't die. Maybe he blacked out because of all the pain and all the torture. And then he actually came out. Okay, so we're saying that Jesus, having been beaten to a pulp, lacerated all over, side pierced with a spear, unrecognizable, blood soaked coming through his clothes, awoke from sleep, somehow crawled out, moved this massive stone that takes a dozen people to move without any strength at all of his own. And then he goes to his followers, convinces them, bloody and beaten and completely disheveled, convinces them that he's conquered the grave. Okay? Well, then maybe his body was stolen by the disciples. That's got to be it. Okay. So the disciples, who are made up of fishermen and an accountant, become SEAL Team 6. And they come up with the best plan to pass around the guards. Go to this stone. Somehow move it themselves. They go in and they steal Jesus' body and create a whole story about this. To the point that they give their whole lives towards this sham, towards this made-up story, even to the point of being tortured and mutilated and killed. I mean, you've got to remember, these men, some of them have families and wives at home and kids. Wouldn't you think at some point someone says, okay, you know what, we made the whole thing up. We stole the body. I'm sorry we didn't think it would go this far. We made it up. But no. Even at the sword and hanging on their own crosses, no one breaks. No one recants. No one says that it was a sham. 
They are all in with this. They've committed everything to Jesus. In fact, one of the most stunning evidences of Jesus' resurrection are because of the witnesses who encountered Jesus after the resurrection. Would you hear me for just another moment? For one, women. We've said this before at Seven Mile Road, but if it's new to you, or would you be reminded of this? Women are the first ones who are made aware of Jesus rising. Why is that important for us? Because it's not like 21st century America or in this world. In the first century, women were not respected. They were not considered of any value. In fact, in, Jewish, in the Jewish time, in that time, in the first century, there was a saying that went around that said, it's better to burn the Torah than to educate a woman with it. And so the question is, why would it be made up that they witness, that women witness Jesus rising first if you're trying to gain any credibility for this thing at all? Okay, two. How do these disciples who are so weak and cowardly before Jesus died become so bold-chested and full of courage after he dies? Would you consider that? We've been in Mark. We've seen... These disciples screw it up over and over again, even just a few weeks ago, time and time again, denying Jesus, betraying Jesus, walking away from Jesus, questioning Jesus, trying to keep Jesus away from the cross. But all of a sudden, after a few weeks after Jesus dies, with fierce boldness, they are saying things like this before the same people who put Jesus to death. They are saying things like this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. How could they say this unless they encountered something that made them consider following Jesus more valuable than their own lives? How can they say this unless they encountered the risen Christ? And thirdly, and I feel like for me, this is, maybe for all of us, if you have a brother or a sister or mom or dad, one of the interesting things is that Jesus' own family believed that he was God and raised from the dead. Listen, many of you are remarkable people and I love you, but you're not convincing anyone that you're God. You're not convincing your brother or your sister or your mother or your father or cousin or friend, anybody, that you are God. I mean, that is not going to happen no matter how good you are. And yet, James, Jesus' brother, becomes a pastor of Jesus' church and so believed in him that he was thrown off a mountain when he was proclaiming Christ. Thrown off a mountain, he survived at the bottom. When he got to the bottom, history tells us that when he was there, he continued to pray for the people who were beating him. And they got threatened and they became even more angry. They grabbed a club, beat him over the head with it, and he died. Proclaiming Christ. What must he have seen to make him convinced that Jesus, his own brother, was God and rose from the dead? How will you respond to the empty tomb? How will these women respond? Verse 8 says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Mark's gospel ends in verse 8 with this sort of anticlimactic response from the women. And just a brief tangent, just two seconds. 
You might notice in your Bibles there's a bracketed off section that says verse 9 to 20, and it has some additional material. We're not going to cover that today, but we're going to try to blog on that later this week to say why that's there. But there's much good reason to to believe that Mark ends his gospel here at verse 8. And if he does, if Mark's gospel ends, it leaves us wondering why Mark would end this way. I think one reason could be, among many, as Mark so often does, to highlight God's faithfulness despite man's failures and less than impressive responses to him. You could even stare at the empty tomb and not believe or be frightened or run away. The moment these women have been waiting for, all they can do is freeze Run away and not tell a soul. It leaves you wondering, when will the other shoe drop? This is the end of the book. This is what we've spent 15 months waiting for. And it's not true that this is, not, that this is the end of the story. Because Mark's gospel, he has a specific purpose. But in the other gospels, we see that they actually did go. They actually did go tell people, the disciples, that they saw that Jesus Christ had, is no longer in the grave, that he's risen. But Mark wants to show us that the empty tomb and what followed afterward happened by the hand of God. Not just despite those who failed Jesus, but for those who failed Jesus. It's not because of the wisdom of these women or the faithfulness of the disciples to live perfect that made the resurrection possible. It's as if God paints over history, stamps Paid in full, not by your work, not by anything you've done, not by your ability to remain faithful, but what I have have done for you. By I, I have removed the stone. I was the one who put life into Jesus' heart. And I am the one who saves. And this is why Peter is mentioned by name. Right? For us to feel the weight of that. Because the one with the greatest mess up, the greatest track record of faithlessness, the deepest insecurities that he would know God's grace the most. And you can almost hear Jesus telling you, Rebecca, you can be saved. Or John or Lauren, we have done nothing. Perhaps some of you who don't trust in Christ today done nothing. And would you hear Jesus calling out to you this day? The empty tomb can create all kinds of responses within us. Some with faith, some with doubt, some with unbelief, some who want to believe. But I think one of the things that surfaces for us is this awareness in us that there's something off about our hearts, about this world around us. No matter what we do, what we achieve, how much we own, where we go, something inside of us is unsatisfied, unsettled, troubled. And it's just not us. It's everything around the world and everyone around And listen, this week, even as I was considering the resurrection, my heart so badly wanted to to believe and needed the resurrection to be true. I need the resurrection to be true because when I look out into the, the world and into my own heart, something yearns for wholeness and for restoration and goodness and freedom and insecurity and sin to be gone. Do you feel that way perhaps this morning? Are you riddled and feeling weighed down by life? Listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, we've said it, we're all fools. 
duped a million, billion times over. Jesus was a liar or a madman, but he certainly was not God. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. Those who die are lost. And we, more than any other people, should be pitied. Dear brother and sister, it is Easter Sunday. And Christ has been raised from death. And he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And this means that everything turns. Everything changes for us. Jesus rises from the grave and reveals himself to sinners who have left him. Sinners this day, today, who would deny him. And he can call out to you and say, you are mine. I've conquered that which plagues you. That disturbs your soul. That condemns you. The resurrection for us today could mean that, listen, life can be grueling. And it can be hard, and we're going to face death, and we're going to face sin, and we're going to face awfulness and disappointment. But because of the resurrection, we are not hopeless. We are not hopeless. Would you look at the empty tomb? Does sin or failure keep you from God this day? Do you feel that your sin is too great to come to God? Would you know that you cannot out-sin the grace of God. Did you hear that? You cannot out-sin the grace of God and the work of Jesus. If you could, Jesus would be still in the grave. He'd be still in the tomb. But it's Easter Sunday. He's risen. So every one of your sins can be forgiven. Does the sorrow of death torment you and cause you sorrow? Is the weight too great to bear because we are separated in this life from those we love? I've been to funerals of people, and you perhaps have too, who know and trust in Jesus. The first several roles are filled with people who are mourning and grieving over loss. But else, what else do we see at these funerals? An irrepressible joy that that person who has known Christ has something better on the other side. This is not a cliche. It's not that, hey, we'll just see you on the other side, and that's a nice, pretty saying. It's reality because of Easter. We will see them. We will see them all, and we will see one another on the other side. And the reason is because Jesus Christ is alive. And because he is, the scriptures tell us that we are also raised with him. This is why we can say with the late preacher and great poet, George George Herbert, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel made him for me just a gardener. Spare not, do thy worst. All thou canst do is make me better than I was before. Come on, death, the lower you lay me, the higher You raise me. Do you see? Death has no power over those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. And we need not grieve as those who have no hope, but as those who have the greatest hope. Because Christ has come, has died, has raised, and we are raised with him. This morning, are you filled with anxieties of the mind and of the body, afflictions, Do you suffer? Are you weary in this life and your heart burdened with sorrow? Do you have a need of any kind this morning? 
The resurrection of Christ does not ignore your physical needs and is not just concerned with the spiritual ethereal stuff. God is not just concerned with the spiritual stuff. Would you know that because Jesus rose from the dead, you've got to know that Jesus cares about the physical stuff, about our bodies, and that all things will be restored, including your body, including your mind, and relationships, and this world, and all that is in it that is broken, racism, and poverty, and hunger, and thirst, and brokenness, and war, and hatred, all of it because of this. Broken, redeemed, restored because of Christ. Martin Luther, the reformer, was asked once, if you knew that Christ was coming tomorrow, what would you do? And Martin Luther said, I'd plant a tree. Because you know how well that tree would do? Did you catch that? If it flew over your head, it's probably because that's not the response I would give either. In the resurrection, in the life to come, do you know how sweet and perfect and good that life is? You plant a tree, that's going to do well in eternity. Your life in eternity, man, we are going to be living it up. We're going to be in perfect harmony with one another. And all that we've been longing for is put right. As one pastor puts it, there's nothing better than ordinary life except that in this world, it's always going away. It's always falling apart and fleeing us. But when Jesus comes again for us, our bodies resurrected physically, glorified and made perfect, we're going to eat around a big table. We're going to throw logs in a fire. We're going to go to the beach and dance. We'll sit by the ocean and sit on top of the mountain and gaze over all the beauty of God's creation. Because God so loved this world and you and I that he sent Jesus so that all things may be made right by and through him. Friends, if you trust in Christ today, if you believe in him, you will be saved of your sins. Death will have no victory over you. And your eternal life is fully secured in Christ forever with unimaginable joy. If you would just take Christ today. And if we who know Christ would just believe today. Yes, it was Easter over 2,000 years ago on a Sunday. It's Easter today. But listen, it is going to be Easter forever once Christ comes and raises us up as we spend eternity and forever with him, with one another. Let's pray. Is Easter, there's great reason to rejoice. God, how sweet it is to consider not only your death, but to consider, oh God, the thing that has changed it all, your resurrection. We sing, we pray, we preach, we speak with one another, we live, we walk, not as those who worship a God who is dead, buried, not as ones who have no hope for our sins to be removed or death to be removed, but, oh God, we worship, we sing, we speak as those who have the greatest hope in the world that Christ Jesus has come, is resurrected from the grave, and now he gives us life. And so while our hearts will be pushing to fight against belief, by your Spirit, would you open our hearts Unblock our ears, open up our eyes, O oh God, to see the risen Christ, that He is alive, that He is risen, that He is God. 
Help us by your spirit with all of this, we pray in Christ. Amen.